This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. Earlier today on the Mac and Bone Show. J.J. Jansen is with us here uh, because we miss him, but also because we just need a real thorough explanation of that horse collar, two penalty situation on the punt return. Uh, he is J.J. Jansen. J.J., how you doing, brother? What's going on? Appreciate you guys having me. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. All right, we got to get right down to business before we get to some of the other things going on. I know that you were trying via text to explain to us during yesterday's show why the call was this the right call. This is like trying to explain to the two old guys on the Muppets what's going on. Talk to us like we're five-year-olds because when it came to this ruling, I feel like a five-year-old. But you also don't think like I thought, okay, they did the ruling correctly, but it's not fair to have those cancel out the way they did. But you don't seem to have a problem even with the rules. So explain this whole thing on that punt return. Yeah, so the, the overarching premise on any special teams plays is they don't want to re-kick. At the end of the day, the NFL is it, it's an entertainment business. They don't want lots of extra special teams plays. So as a general rule, they don't want to have re-kicks. What happened on that play was you had fouls on both teams. It wouldn't have mattered what the fouls were. They happened to both be personal fouls, though. Blocking what we call four feet in the white, so the gunners on our sideline, were blocking their gunner um, while while both players were in the sideline. So that's a personal foul. Obviously, everyone saw the horse collar, which was about as nasty of a horse collar as I've seen in a yeah. long time. Yeah. But there, there was ends up not being a penalty, but he will unfortunately get a big FedEx uh, uh, receipt in his locker on Tuesday. <laughs> the guy from Atlanta, because it just that's what happens. But the result is. They, the fouls essentially canceled each other out. But because there was a change of possession, the way they enforce that rule is either at the catch where the punt, where the ball changed possessions or the end of the play. And here's the difference, whichever is worse for the return team. So typically what you've seen, these plays happen all the time, but typically what happens is a returner catches the ball at the 20 yard line there's two fouls. They're offsetting. He returns it to the 30, and they say the ball is spotted at the spot of the catch. And everyone goes, oh, that kind of makes sense. Like, that's where he caught it. Yeah. But the way the rule is written, it's whatever is worse for, for the return team, which happened to be us that time. Because we went backwards in the, in the return, it makes it look very punitive. But the reality is this is the standard way that the rule is written um, for all the time. And I, and I promise you, you've watched games every year with the Panthers where something like this happens and they just put the ball down where the ball was caught and no one really thinks that we don't even notice uh, it you don't even notice that you're like oh that makes sense and they just move on okay are you taking notes back from Professor Jansen right now I'm thinking by the way I am I am straining Matt's got a pencil my brain is straining not understand and comprehend this is like I'm back in college in some sort of like trigonometry or something I need a snack Um, JJ the last thing I'll ask because I know there's plenty we want to talk about with you you know about the game but also you know the fun stuff we always do with you but like do you so you think the, you think that's okay? Because the one thing that got Bone and I, and I think a lot of fans was like you're saying, that's a vicious horse collar. It's a dangerous play, and it seems like he benefited from it. It just seems not fair. But you think the rule's fine? 
he didn't he didn't benefit from it because if he doesn't do that, if he doesn't do that and he tackles him now now granted where we were on the field was kind of funky, but like if he doesn't do that, it would have been half the distance to the goal from the end of the run anyways because we had already committed a foul. So they actually so let's say that play happened at the thirty yard line. We had committed a foul, a personal foul. So let's say we caught the ball and he was tackled at the thirty. They would have put the ball at the fifteen. So they actually he nullified a personal foul that against us. Now it wouldn't have mattered because where the ball was, the ball was at the one half the distance would have been you know at the half yard line. But he doesn't get a free shot because we had already committed a penalty. Yeah. I think that's what was lost. Everyone saw the horse collar. The way that rule is written about out of bounds with the gunners is that's also considered a personal foul. Not nearly as it doesn't feel as bad. No one was harmed. Yeah. Nobody was harmed or potentially in danger because we were on the sideline. But it, but that rule's in there for safety um, because there's so many sideline people and they don't want. And you remember the old days when when Bones Jets oh, yeah. uh, had strength coaches line up guys oh, and yeah. knock people out on the sideline. They tried it. There's a bunch of rules, but obviously the sideline is not the safest place to be. So they're trying to prevent all that. So obviously not nearly as egregious, but we had already committed a personal foul on okay. the play. So they, so they lost that benefit. Just where the play ended up, it didn't even. It looked like it was a freebie, but it wasn't. I gotta take it. Hey, that's I gotta that's take a tough accusation, JJ. The the, the 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 players on the field should have been watching out for the Jets coach. <laughs> Bone, your Jets might need to try that the rest of the season. Um, right, yeah, I just wrote that down. Holy crap! He might have to break that out. Gritty win though by your boys, Bone. Very gritty. JJ, yeah. I would never ask you to talk about a player's contract situation, but I do have a question about Brian Burns in general. How how much have you watched him evolve as a leader? from when he started as a rookie to where he is right now? Well, Brian, Brian has just continued to evolve as a person, as a player, as a leader, um, all five years he's been here. He had, he had a great opportunity when he first got here. We still had that kind of that veteran group of players. Luke was here. Greg was here. He had, you know, Shaq had been learning from TD. and like There's just been such a great culture of leadership that's been evolved over the years. And he got to he got to witness that as a young player, and then I always kind of say like he's in that window right now of what I call like those young vets. Um, if you remember those teams in thirteen and fourteen, fifteen had a lot of young vets, guys in their fourth, fifth, sixth years who become the leaders of the team. Um, they're they're in the window where they're the best players and they're the best leaders, and that's where you you're seeing him kind of show up over the last you know twelve to eighteen months is just being being a vocal leader in the locker room being a dynamic leader with his play on the field. Um, it's really kind of cool when you see those guys make those jumps. Um, and we've been, we've been watching it. It happens very slowly. And as, as like old guys like me, it's like, man, you really, you see these young guys, and you expect them to be leaders right away because they're high draft picks or they're really good players. And you realize they're still young men and they're still developing and they're, and these leadership skills are being trained. And then all of a sudden one day you wake up, it's like, wow, like, He's taken over. The the young players on the team are looking to him for yeah. guidance and leadership, and that's really cool when you see it. That's that's what I think makes the NFL really special is the mentorship and the leadership that gets kind of grown up. But, again, Bryant's 24, 25 years old. Like, he is still developing all of those skills, and the, and the steps that he's taken, I think, especially in the last 12 to 18 months, is really good not only for him but for the benefit of our team. There's, Someone there's, said JJ basically did an audio version of football for dummies on this radio. It's show. unbelievable. His rule, your rules acumen is unbelievable. It's Just really like Olson's. Do you guys sit around and talk about rules of the game? Because you guys both know all the damn rules. 
we, we've talked a lot about we've talked a lot about rules. We talk a lot about all the things that involve football, all the strategy, all yeah. the roster management, all of the uh, all the 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 art of the game. We yeah. um, we we've talked about that stuff for a long time, and there's as you'd imagine, Keekley's in that group of, of guys that have these discussions and others. So. Um, Jay, the, uh, the youth football referees must get an earful from you guys. Oh, my God. Seriously. Uh, uh, yeah, JJ, can you confirm? <laughs> God, they must hate y'all. Oh, my oh, goodness. Because they know you're right, too. Yeah, They're like, dang. Uh, these guys know it, man. Um, JJ Jansen with us here. Uh, uh, disc- uh, ch- ch- uh, rules 101. <laughs> rules, rules 101 for us here on the that, show. That, guys, uh, admittedly, guys, that was like 401. That, that okay, was, that was. That's among the more complicated rules in the NFL. Graduate so. level. Thank you for can saying. You, can you text that explanation to Dean Blandino at some point as well? Because <laughs> he, he, he didn't exactly help us out he on the broadcast. He kind of got well, some of what J.J. was saying now that I hear. But, I think but he, J.J. explained it so much better. But Blandino gave up on it. I said, yeah, I don't know exactly. Uh, um, J.J. In, in, in Dean's defense, there's probably about nine games going on at the same time. And everyone probably, it's probably like uh, like a math tutor or something. Everyone calls in with the same types of problems at the same time. So it's hard to spit that stuff out on national TV That's true. so quickly. Plus, yeah, he's got to do it fast. Like, J.J., we were letting yeah. you roll. Like, he's got to do it fast, get to the next play. J.J., <laughs> can you confirm or deny a texter is telling me that J.J. was on the sideline, could be seen explaining to Reich and the other coaches the rule? Is that Did that happen or someone making a, pulling our leg? Uh, no, I was not explaining to our coaches. I was explaining to the official why he was wrong about calling the personal foul on our sideline. So... The, the gunner was very crafty. He had gone out of bounds, and he actually grabbed Troy Hill. And so when the official was looking down the sideline, he saw Troy attached to the gunner and threw his flag. He he did not see Troy blocking. He just saw that they were attached, and it was well beyond the white. Like, it was into the green of the sideline. Oh, my God. And so I was I was telling him that he missed it. And I actually said to him, to the official, I said, you missed it. The gunner was holding him and he looked me dead in the eye and goes, really? That's what you like. Like, that's what you saw. Like this stuff's happening so fast. Our officials are fantastic, yeah. but there's so many things going and the players are so fast. I mean, the, the officials end up often officiating the result of the play. Yeah. Oh, so sometimes, like last night at the end of the jets game, John Perry comes on and says, that's a tripping penalty, <laughs> right? Like, first of all, it's not a tripping penalty, <laughs> but second of all, like, they're looking for those guys are looking for how the play results. Does anything look abnormal? And so all of a sudden, you know, in, in our game, you had two guys locked up eight yards out of bounds. It just feels like an automatic penalty on the yeah. return team. Yeah. And they, and they, and look, they miss calls sometimes and we'll turn them in and, and they'll be better. But uh, I was explaining that to him okay. but by the time that whole thing went on. There was no, there was no getting that one back. Hold on, I need a whole so, Netflix show on just the punt returners. <laughs> it's called Born to Gun. Dude, I'm even more mad now. Now that JJ <laughs> told me the call itself wasn't even the right call on Hill, they shouldn't even been offsetting because now we should. Now I'm mad. Now I'm even more mad. Oh my I, god! I, I just come. I'm just gonna come on Tuesdays to help take Max through the range of emotions that he spends every week <laughs> going through. So. Oh, JJ, I would assume that the locker room is a little more calm about the loss than our text line is. I'm just going to assume that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Look, look, I, I think the, the biggest, the biggest thing, and, and this is something coach Reich has really kind of instilled in us. I think it's the right way to go because it's such a long season, but 
it's trying to keep a level head with each week, good, good or bad, right? So you're trying to learn, you're trying to grow, because the reality is, is you want to be playing your best football in November and December. So you, you want to win, you want to play good football. We obviously did not play our best game on Sunday across all three phases. There was tons of plays left to be made, but I think the overarching theme was we're a really good football team, and if, and if we can do it the best to, to minimize our turnovers, to turn the ball over and on special teams, create a turnover and win the field position game, we've got all the necessary pieces to win and, and win a lot of games. So you're trying to keep a level head because otherwise if, if we went on the Mac range of emotions, I think we'd all be exhausted by week five. I don't know how you do it, um, but, but kudos to you. We, I don't think we're capable of that. So we're going to just kind of stay on the steady Eddie, uh, train here for, for the next 17 weeks or however long. Uh, JJ, that's that's uh, well said. First segment yesterday. Maybe your dad heard it. I don't know. I know you were probably decompressing from the game. First segment yesterday, by about 6.15 or so, Matt had used about 70% of the energy reserve he has for the radio. <laughs> One texter got him so riled up, Mac was sweating. It's those Brian Burns haters, man. God, it's like, no, no, stop. why no, do don't, we hate on our best player? How dumb are we? Anyway. No, stop. We J- got a guest on the line. JJ doesn't need to hear no, this. No, he doesn't. Stuff. All right, JJ, you're getting rave reviews for your explanation. A lot of people like me on the text line seem to now be even angrier, though, than we were before we talked to you. Because <laughs> we that, didn't realize that the Troy Hill thing might have been messed up. They think that JJ uh, finds the referees after games we reviews tapes <laughs> that's cool though that I'll, you can... I'll, I'll send them no i'll send them fedex uh for poor performance <laughs> hey, no, give them a review like, just just so i don't just so i don't get fined our, i and i really do mean this with all seriousness our yeah. officials are really really good this game is going really really fast and and they they are very mechanical in what they do right who they have when they have them um but it's still a very fast game and and we all have the benefit of uh replay afterwards and we can watch it from nine different angles to critique them. That's so, fair too. Uh, that's definitely fair. And it is cool that he like listened to you and said, Oh man, you know, that's what you saw it like. They're great. Like, yeah. like that's, that's the advantage. Like it's pro football and we're all professionals and we're all, we're all getting graded. We're all doing the very best we can. Obviously we're yelling at them all day long, <laughs> trying to get the calls, trying to sway their opinions. Uh, it's a very tough job, especially any of those guys on the sidelines because they're getting an earful from whatever sideline they're on. And as much as we're saying that they're messing up in Atlanta's favor, Atlanta's saying the exact same thing back about us. <laughs> so it's it's three and a half hours. Mac, you'd really like it. You'd love the chaos and the up and down of uh, of the sideline energy. Uh, I will uh, never forget. Sounds, I'll never forget insane. the time there was a, a game and a call, and the referees were confused, and they actually called Olson into the huddle with the referees. Oh, yeah, he got he right was, in there. Because he would hang out by the huddle, and they said, can you come here for a second? <laughs> and there was Olsen and the referees trying to figure out what occurred. I'll never forget it. I'm convinced Greg was, should have got crew chief money, guys, the crew chief in that crew. Guys, that, that, happened, that happens in 11U baseball, too, so don't worry. It's, it's, it's over the, the, the All right, levels Jay. of uh, sports. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. So Tuesday off day, like, do you have to do, like, a lot of honeydews? You and your wife spend time together on Tuesdays? Like, what's your Tuesday, or, or do you lounge? Like, what's your Tuesday off day thing? Did you guys see uh, quarterback with Kirk Cousins? Yeah, that's what our I was thinking Tuesdays of. Look a, our Tuesdays actually look a lot like the Kirk Cousins uh, head over to Barnes and Noble, take a walk, <laughs> get all the get all the kids uh, over to school, and then maybe sneak in a lunch date. Um, it's you know the the morning time is sort of our a one time during the week to sort of decompress and actually uh, 
date your spouse and spend some time <laughs> together because the weekends are obviously uh, chaotic. So we we like to take full advantage of Tuesdays. Um, so I just finished dropping off the kids. We've got one more to go. And then uh, we'll have a little uh, date morning. How about that? There you go. The, the Jansons like deserve a great Tuesday morning today. Thank you, brother. We appreciate it all, man. Great stuff. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. Second Take Tuesday, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. No more road rage conversation, although plenty of ideas and plenty of thoughts on all of that on the text line. Feel free to continue that, 704-570-9610. Let's go to Second Take Tuesday, Defensive Edition, and let's see if Wes is as condescending as he was when he was backing up the last play that I had with the offensive <laughs> Second Take Tuesday. I talked about how I thought the my favorite play was something I wanted to talk about. Hayden Hurst, after they fake it to the right, they put a guy in motion, tied in, holds his block for a little bit, then comes across the field. Wes says, I mean, yeah, a lot of other teams do that too, but yeah, it's fine, whatever. And then <laughs> after the break, I said, okay, so you just really wanted to bleep all over that. It's like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't great. I like, or it, it was a good play. Don't get me wrong. And I just think even with that one, it's also the timing mm-hmm. because look, I think this is, I actually think this is a misconception. There's so many times when people will blame the offensive coordinator when the offense doesn't put up points. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. And for me, I think what people want to see is some Ben Johnson type stuff where you have a where you have a lateral in order to pick up a fourth down aggressive attempt. I think people want to see 50 yard bombs and some attacking in the middle of the field crosses all the time with guys getting separation. And yeah, that would be fantastic. But I also think when you dial up those plays on a first down, when everything is open, the defense can't cheat one way or the other because you're at a part of the field where you play too aggressive against the run on what is usually a running down to traditional football minds, then they're going to throw it over the top and you just got Mike hit deep. deep. But then with this play action, putting guys in motion first, and you want to set your quarterback up really close to the line of scrimmage. That's why I like that play, but I'm with you. Like, yes, you're going to be faking to the right. You're going to have guys pull one way and then hit them with something different. But I think that's what we want. You're not looking for plays that have never been done before. You want some wrinkles. You want wrinkles in it. And I think the setup is important, too. LaVisca was heavily involved. And then you use him as a decoy. And people are paying attention. Oh, hell, here they go with LaVisca again because they already used him. They picked up one first down. I just thought it was the right time to bring that type of play out. And it really helped him out. No doubt. And you hurt my feelings. No. Oh, I'm sorry, man. It's I apologize. Okay. It's all right. I'm sensitive. Bleep on your plate. Feel I'm free to bleep on any of mine's. Uh, all right. Well, let's hear uh, Let's hear the first one, and we'll see if I want to roll with it. All What's right. the defensive play that you want to roll with? <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, the first one I've got for you when you talk about on the positive side of things for the defense, second quarter, 30 seconds left, Derek Brown's sack. He lines up at nose guard. He looked like they're in a 4-2-5. Yeah. 
uh, configuration in. He just absolutely destroys the center, gets back there. Brian Burns also applied pressure, but then Big uh, Derek Brown finished the playoff, and I think it showed his versatility uh, as well because you're talking about a guy that now you light him up at defensive end in a 34 in a more traditional setting in that um, lineup, but then you can also put him as a three technique and as a nose guard. And so I think that right there, uh, that that was a big play, momentum grabbing play for them coming into half. Derek Brown had a really good game, and so I thought that play right there uh, was really indicative of what he can bring to the table. Yeah, I noticed that too. Derek Brown's alignment. It was not on the outside. It was in the middle, and you're talking about him getting to the quarterback. He had an 81 pass rush grade. I, I'm glad you brought that one up. Brian Burns got pressure. One of the plays that showed his dominance, at least in the pass rush game. And I'll go to the first third down that the Falcons had in this one. Brian Burns got a sack. Straight speed rush. After the week that Brian Burns had. He decides to play after even confirming afterwards there was real thought to him just deciding to skip this game altogether. Straight speed rush, sets the tone, pay me, I'm faster than anyone rushing the passer, as athletic speed-wise as any pass rusher in the game. You're not going to find many dudes that are faster than him, more powerful, that's where it starts to come into play with Bosa, Garrett, Micah Parsons. Oh, you got Kayla McGarry? Fourth best player at his position last year. Cool. I'm going to get a sack as soon as there's a legitimate passing down. I just thought that was right away setting the tone. But here's what I want to talk about before we go to other plays. Okay. We brought up Derek Brown and Brian Burns. Both played well. If you go to Pro Football Focus and you put some validity into their grades. I'll go there. Derek Brown got an 81 pass rush grade in this game. Very good. 51.5 in the run game. If you look at Brian Burns, 91.1 elite top five edge rusher type of numbers that you're going to get rushing the passer, which is ultimately what he's paid to do. But look at his run grade. It's 40. So I think when you start to look at the overall grade, which is only 68, that ranks 43rd out of 106 players at that position compared to what they did week one. The 68 grade to me, the 43rd ranking to me does not accurately depict what he gave you against the Atlanta Falcons. But the running defense, if you isolate that, I wonder if that's the Carolina Panthers point. Don't get it twisted. I don't agree with it. I think Brian Burns, especially with the kind of hell that he can cause in the past game, he showed you against Atlanta. That's a good offensive line too. Let's not move the goalposts, right? Like this isn't just against a team that has a whole bunch of turnstiles as bookend offensive linemen. Now he messed Caleb and Gary up. He had holding penalties. He drew false starts. He got the football out of Ritter's hands. What else more do you want from him? Maybe it's to stop the run. But to me, if pass rush is king, I'm paying him 28 mil and flirting with 30. And I'm going to lock in an important player on this team for the long term. And I think Derek Brown is even thinking the same. I expect the run grade to go up for Derek Brown as this year goes on. But with Brian Burns, it might not as much, Wes. And I'm saying even despite that, he should still get paid. Ooh, yeah, I mean... I'm with you on that, too. I think that he bit? should be paid. No, I'm not changing, okay. but I okay. think that run grade, man, he's got to show some improvement in there somehow, man. You can't be, uh, I'm not going to say soft against the run, but you just can't be a guy that teams can pinpoint. You want to be a balanced player because when you look at a lot of the guys at the top of the position as well, they're pretty adequate run players as well, whether you want to talk about Miles Garrett or Nick Bosa or Micah Parsons or those guys at the top of the list, and I think that's the next step. He did have 17 tackles for loss last year, so he can be disruptive and break 
up the run game. But that's an area you don't want to see that because you're talking about uh, a defense that missed a lot of tackles, gave up five yards per carry uh, against the run. And so, yeah, the pass rush might be good, but when you break it all down, let's say you get a sack in four or five pressures, that's five plays out of a football game. When you're talking about going up against some of the best quarterbacks in the league, you got to be able to keep them behind the chains because, again, like I said the other day, if you're playing against some of these top-notch offenses and they're able to get five yards per carry on the run, you're going to give up a lot of points and a lot of yards because good quarterbacks, you give Patrick Mahomes five yards a carry if you want to. You give Tua Tungavaloa, he showed you. You give him five yards a carry. You give Justin Herbert, take your pick of top quarterbacks, you give him five yards a carry, it's going to be a long day, man. You're probably going to give up 30-plus. Well, and I don't want to belabor it, but there was a little hesitation. It sounds like that does matter enough to you. To oh, actually, it matters. You know, yeah. Well, I mean, but even in the sense of paying them, like it, it does seem if Carolina is going to point to that side and say, look, this is something where you even get bad grades on. Mm-hmm. Like you're it, not only are you not average at times, maybe you're even a little below average. This is why we don't want to pay you 28. I don't agree with it. I think Brian Burns pass rush ability is special. I think he showcased that in week one. I'm not saying he doesn't need to get better against the run, but I think it's special enough to override any concerns that you might have in the run game in order to pay him and lock him up for the future. Because if you're, if that's the case, like if Carolina really digs their heels in and he gives you a couple more games where he gets blasted off the spot in the run game, first downs, you're not able to hold guys in check. If they run at you, like if you become that kind of liability, if Carolina digs their heels in, this could get even uglier, Wes. No question. I, that that's going to be interesting to see. Now, if he performs better there, maybe you start to gain some of that leverage back. But if you're starting to think about it the other way, I I wonder how long this thing could go into the season if he struggles even more so. No question about it. And so that's the thing, man. You don't want to play because what what's the point if I get a sack for a five yard loss and then the team runs for eight nine yards on the next play and puts himself right back ahead of the chains. That's the thing. You want to have balanced play from your best defensive player. He's touted as the best defensive player. You need to be all around. And so if we go to the negative side of things, let's talk about the Bajan uh, touchdown that he had and the missed tackles on that football play. And there were a lot of missed tackles by the Carolina Panthers out there, and especially when you talk about the secondary. I'm sorry. Von Bell can come up and lay some hits every now and again, but he missed a lot of tackles. He was, he was bad in this game. Dante Jackson just... I mean, you get out there on him, you might as well count that as yards gain. And so when you look at it, you break it down. They missed 12 tackles as a team versus Atlanta. But when you look at some of the top NFL defenses and, and the amount of tackles they're missing, San Francisco missed seven. Philadelphia missed four. Dallas missed four. So when you're talking about missing 12 tackles, and especially some of these plays like the B. John touchdown, he put a disgusting move on Frankie Lubu because he definitely had the angle. Oh, it was disgusting. And he could have came in and turned that play into a loss or a minimal game. But credit him being such a good player. That's why you go out and draft guys in the top 10 to be difference makers, to make a play that could be dead in the water, to make something out of that. And he did that. But then here comes Von Bell, and I believe... Shaq Thompson, I have the same play written down. Yeah, and I mean, he just runs through those two. To get to the end zone. And I think, you know, you look at some of the bigger plays they had, especially when Bijan had to rock, Algier, these guys we talked about, Atlanta averaging five a carry. The tackling was not good, especially in the run game. That's something that will have to improve because, again, like I said, you will be at the mercy of a lot of these offenses if you 
let them stay ahead of the chains. So this is why I'm optimistic of the Panthers getting rid of some of those flaws going forward. Because we believe in Frankie Louvu as a linebacker. We believe he's one of the better defenders. And he did have a, a good run game. defender, yes. And we didn't and he did not have a good game against Atlanta. Same thing with Von Bell. I think Von Bell is a good NFL player. No, I don't think he's a Pro Bowl safety, but I think he's probably fringe. He was very meaningful to what they did in Cincinnati alongside Jesse Bates, and they had some better players. But Von Bell, he mattered a lot to what Lou Amaruno was able to do against some top-flight offenses in the AFC, getting to the Super Bowl, getting to the AFC Championship game. Boy, was this not his game. He missed quite a few tackles. And you brought up the Bijan reception for a touchdown. Same thing. I, I brought up that same play here. So I think it's just indicative of, of the overall problem within this contest because they could have stopped him so many times. Frankie Louvu, go straight. First of all, let's talk about the Jeremy Chin blitz because he blitzes as soon as Ritter realizes it. He's like, hopefully oh, I got to get rid of it. Geno Smith style, Aaron Donald rushing down the middle. So he gets rid of the football and Chin almost tips it, but he doesn't. And so it's completed. Louvu is running full speed ahead and Robinson just makes an incredible play as he's catching it goes right and then left and Louvu dives for air and Robinson's running free. But then you get, it looks like you're about to get a, a Bajan sandwich from Frank, from Shaq Thompson and Von Bell jukes away from Von goes right into Shaq. Von Bell had a missed tackle. But Shaq's the one that I really look at there, Wes. Like Shaq, he, he was juking into you. That should have been something to where Shaq was able to wrap up and maybe he gets the first down, but not the touchdown. And to me, I thought Shaq Thompson missed some tackles, but I don't expect that to happen. I think Shaq Thompson is an average to even above average linebacker. I, I think he's a little above, but not TD, Luke Keekley level, as we've talked about a mm -hmm. lot. I think Frankie Louvu is going to shore up that tackling. I think... The defensive line, even on the Algier first touchdown that he had where he there's nowhere to go, but the offensive line keeps the hands and the defensive tackles just enough away for Algier to bounce that out on the outside. I think the tackling is going to be there. As you know, as a football player, that's one of the last things to come, especially with you not being as physical in practice as you used to be able to be. So or you used to be able to show that kind of physicality. I think that'll come as the season goes on. Yeah. And so, again, the, the other play that I had that was on the not so positive side was the first and 10, 13 seconds ago in the third quarter. Brian Burns, one of the few blemishes he had on the day, he crashed down inside. He bit on the play fake. He thought Ritter was going to still have the ball because he was looking for that sack and not playing a run. Probably took a minus in the film room for not playing his responsibilities. He crashes inside. Bijan takes it right around, or Bijan takes it right around that uh, left side off of left tackle and then shakes Jeremy Chin. Jeremy Chin goes flying by as he makes a nice <laughs> cut uh, to the inside and gets it down inside of the five that helped set up uh, an Atlanta score. And so that's something that's definitely going to have to be shored up as this season goes along. This team is going to have to get better uh, at the fundamentals of tackling. Yeah, that, that's my room for optimism though uh, so Atlanta they're going to be a top five running team I, I think they're going to be the best running team in all the NFL with that offensive line with those two running backs them being scared of Desmond Ritter I think that's going to be the best running team in football so already that's an advantage for the Falcons and I think tackling will come as the season goes on that's a good sign for them playing the other teams they were in the right spots for the most part Wes I think I mean it's not every time but if they were sure tacklers and they only missed like two, then or, you know, whatever, a couple, right? Not as many as they did. Frankie Luva was flying all around the field. It was not a problem with his effort or even instincts. 
It was just him not wrapping up. Same thing with Von Bell. Same thing with Shaq Thompson. So I, I expect that to to shore itself up, self up um, against New Orleans and even beyond that. Hopefully it happens, though, against the New Orleans Saints. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. Sit tight and stay locked because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. So Aaron Rodgers done for the season. Four minutes into it. It's the most sports sad that I've been for somebody, a team that I don't care about in a long time. And I don't know what else. There's not much that compares to what we saw last night throughout the history of sports. And it's not just, as I asked, you know, comparing maybe other incidences. What compares to this? Marcus Page to Chris Jenkins for Carolina fans in the national championship game. Atlanta losing that Super Bowl 28-3. to um, Malcolm Butler's end zone interception against Seattle, which I think is even more severe than 28-3 to because watching a 28-3 to lead evaporate, you know, it's like being tortured to death, whereas the lights just went out for, for Seattle like that with Malcolm Butler. Well, and yeah, people forget you, you mentioned the Marcus Page shot, and of course we all remember it around here because it's more of a local thing. But I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, it was either uh, Curse or Baldwin had one of the most insane catches of all time just a couple plays before that. And once he made that catch, it's like, oh, Seahawks are going to go back to back. And it was just like two or three plays later was the Malcolm Butler uh, interception at the one yard line. That is one of the biggest gut punches, I think, of all time in sports. There's no question. It's top three all time. At worst, it's top three. You threw a pick on the goal line at, and gave away a Super Bowl. With 20-something seconds left, and you still had two timeouts. There's, there's no way it's anything but top three all time. Uh, so, again, you know, does anything compare to what happened last night? I'd say Bill Buckner in the 86 World Series, probably right up there. Um, we, we've had a lot of good submissions come in. There's no doubt about that. The text line is absolutely blowing up. Oh, by the way, there's also the, the case of the Jets still winning the game in overtime. Uh, Zach Wilson came in, and he wasn't spectacular, but they got the win in overtime thanks to a punt return touchdown, which is a you know, bizarre way to end the game that started in the craziest way possible. Um, oh, Josh Allen stunk up the joint. We, we got to start talking about that a little bit more. Like maybe Josh Allen looks incredible next week, and you know that whole narrative goes away. Week one of the NFL season is bizarre. Every single year, every single year, some weird thing happens in week one. Lots of weird things happen in week one. Who did the Saints blow out with Jameis Winston last year to start the season? Was it? Oh, oh no, no, I think it was two years ago. That it was two years ago. Is that what it was? It was the Packers. And it, it made That's it even what crazier. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was because a hurricane was there in New Orleans. Yeah. They had to move the game to Jacksonville. It was a Saints home game in Jacksonville against the Packers. And they whooped up on them like 40 to 7. I think that was probably Rodgers' worst game as a Packer. All time. Yeah. That, and then the Packers still had the number one seed by the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to say about last night because, again, you know, you had all those things happen. They still win the game. Josh Allen looks absolutely terrible. I don't think he's getting any better. Um, and I don't know that. I think the Bills might be on the backside of, of that climb. Uh, how do I want to put that? I mean, is is the, the proverbial window closing? I don't know. what Buffalo doesn't look any formidable than they did last year. I, and Josh Allen still has the same problems. You heard him after the game last night. He's like, same old bleep. He knows he's doing the same things over and over again. He makes bad decisions. I don't think he's getting any better at playing the position than he was a couple of years ago. And that athleticism is going to fade. Like those things that he does. When he tried to hurl that defender on third and long last night, what was he doing? 
I, I just he does the same silly stuff time and time again, and they're not getting better. They're good. They've got talent. They're going to win games. But are they Super Bowl good? I don't think they are. If you're not seeing Josh Allen get better, better than Cam Newton, my rear end. Oh come on, we, that that whole. I saw the the stat last night: 176 combined touchdowns in his first five years in the NFL, most all time. Okay, I well, mean, you had better it, weapons. It, it matters. Weapons. That that matters. I'm not trying to you know take away from that. But are you getting better? Is the team any closer to a Super Bowl? And I don't think I don't think Buffalo is. No, I don't. I'm not sure. I don't think they're going to win it. They're this stagnating year. more than anything right now. I I think so. I think so. Seven zero four five seven zero ninety six ten. All that's happening. And oh, by the way, J.C. Horn reportedly is going to miss multiple weeks because of a pulled hamstring that occurred on Sunday's game in Atlanta. Oh, which I guess kind of takes us back to uh, Aaron Rodgers because David Bakhtiari, his former tackle last night, was going scorched earth on the NFL for continuing to force players to play on turf as opposed to natural surfaces. Um, are we, we are we blaming the turf for J.C. on Sunday officially? Yeah, no, maybe. Since it was a non-contact well, I'll injury. I'll say artificial again. surface because I, I don't know the turf is the appropriate way to say it anymore. Well, the fact that it was an, a non-contact injury again, I do think it there probably is some credence to it. Uh, the fact that all of his injuries have taken place on um, turf fields, it can't be a coincidence. I mean, he was literally just backpedaling in Houston when he had that uh, injury with his foot that took him out the whole year's rookie year. Last year, I mean, we all know how hard the turf was reported by the players after the game against Detroit. That's when J.C. broke his hand because of how hard the turf was. It was basically like concrete, and then you had the situation on Sunday. So, I mean, it feels like it's a it's a trend. We talk about how he's injury prone. Well, I mean, that could very well be a, a legit statement at this point, but I also think we have to put into consideration the fact that all these injuries have taken place on turf fields. Look, I have no intel that would suggest that J.C. Horn is a loyal listener to this show. Um, you know, I'm going to go with I doubt it, but he might. And so I always try to keep in mind when I talk about guys in these terms that, hey, what if they hear this? I, I want to be respectful because these guys are elite world-class athletes. A lot of them work their asses off every single day of every single year to be where they are. And nobody's more frustrated right now with his situation than J.C. Horn is. So I don't want to pile on. I certainly don't want to take shots and I don't want to be you know unnecessary. But this is the business, man. He can't stay on the field. And if you've got definitive proof that it's the turf's fault, well, I'm going to be right there in line with David Bakhtiari screaming at the NFL owners, you know, protect your assets, protect your players better. And I do think there's some truth to it. But is this all the turf or is J.C. Horn actually injury prone? At what point do we say definitively he was the wrong pick, that it should have been Micah Parsons, that it should have been Patrick Sertan? Right. You, you can go back through a lot of drafts in the history of this organization and every single other and point to all the players they could have drafted that turned out well. It's why I generally stay away from doing too much of it. But I, 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 <laughs> you've got to make some tough decisions. And sometimes you've got to make a call on draft night with the guy that you think is the best value, the, the best talent and hope that your evaluation pays off. I don't think that they chose a guy who can't play in J.C. Horn. I think they might have chosen a guy that they didn't know couldn't stay healthy at this level when there were two better options available at the time. Yeah, and I, I can't blame Carolina for that, and I can't and, blame... And let me add to... I'm going to let you pick up on that. Let me add to that at some point, someone has to take responsibility for those decisions as they accumulate, and that someone is going to be Scott Fitterer if they lose more games than they win and don't look like they're getting better. Yeah, and look, at this point, I can't really blame Scott, Matt Rule, and whoever made the final decision that night on J.C. because... Who, we didn't know that the injuries were going to stack up like this. And when he's on the field, he's a tremendous player. 
and I can't fault JC because unfortunately he can't control. I mean, he can be one of the most fine-tuned athletes of all time, but sometimes you just get bleep luck. You get you get no luck at all, and unfortunately, it feels like JC's gotten no luck at all when it comes to injuries. We've seen it happen before, Kyle. We've had a lot of talented players come in here, but unfortunately, injured injuries have hampered their potential and their careers. I mean, the prime example is in that front office right now, Kyle. Dan Morgan. The amount of concussions he had that hampered what could have been a very long and fruitful career. Multiple time Pro Bowls, all pros, potential, but concussions kept on getting in his career. Same thing with Luke Keekley. Some of the running backs that Carolina missed out on, unfortunately, didn't really stay healthy because they were talented, but they didn't stay healthy. Deshaun Foster is one of them. And Tim Biakapatuka, we never really got to see Tim Biakapatuka's full career play out because of injuries. But when he was on the field, he was very talented. So I, I can't fault them for that one, but it's it's frustrating. I don't want to call JC injury prone, but it, it, we're getting close to that point now. And it's very unfortunate. I, I, I don't think we have to dance around it. He's officially injury prone until or unless he gets back on the field and plays an extended stretch. It just is what it is. You hate to say it. I don't want to say that about him, but can I, you got to keep dodging it. He's been injured every year he took the field. And somebody yesterday pointed out that he could have come back earlier in year one, but they didn't want to rush him, didn't feel like they needed to. That's fine, whatever. But he still got hurt, and he still missed several games. He got hurt again last year, missed several games. And he got hurt on night one, day one of the NFL season this year. He is a very good, effective player when he's on the field. But at this point, I, you can't count on him. So now what do they do? The season's underway. Uh, yesterday, Steve Smith suggested, do we have that audio, by the way, Steve yesterday suggested that, you know, they look outside the organization, which I know is not the most, um, you know, innovative solution. And I, I mean that respectfully, we all know at this point, you got to look outside the organization. Uh, but Steve said specifically, maybe there's a disgruntled cornerback out there you could trade for. The JC Horn is out for a couple of weeks. We cannot feel comfortable with CJ Henderson right. as a starter. That That's just... I, I look. I, I I worked up there during the preseason. I'm supposed to be optimistic. I'm just also not a liar, and 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 I'm not a uh, I'm not a sugarcoater. The Jacksonville Jaguars let him go as a first round draft pick for a reason, and we are seeing why. He needs to play better. He really does. He's a first first round pick. He's not very good right now. No. And teams are going to pick on. It, it was a pass interference. It wasn't even pass interference. It should have been a salt case on Kyle Pitts because it was just, man, it's just bad positioning. There you go. And, and I, without JC, this secondary is going to get toasted by the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, they need some help. You, you can't, you, your plan can't be Dante and CJ Henderson moving forward. I'll tell you, I didn't, CJ made a couple of nice plays on Sunday. I've seen him make a couple of nice plays in the preseason, but there are also always a couple of plays where CJ's just going to get toasted. And, and they need some help there. By the way, Tim hates tanking on the text line is saying, uh, no, the Panthers took a non-premium position over Slater and Parsons. Parsons is a Hall of Famer. Fitterer was part of that terrible draft. That 21 draft is horrible. I hear nothing but excuses on this station for Fitterer, and I'm sick of it. Fitterer should have been canned with rule. They're responsible for 21 and 22, and those misses are compounding. So he hears nothing on this station but excuses for Scott Fitterer. Uh, I, I think that we've had a lot of conversations last couple of weeks, especially, you know, about that conversation starting to really build. And I think you're, you're seeing maybe some of those mistakes um, really come to the surface, so to speak. But to, to the original point you made, Tim, you said non-premium position. They took a non-premium position, a.k.a. J.C. Horn, a cornerback, over Rayshon Slater and Parsons 
uh, a tackle and, a, and an edge rusher, respectively. Now, I will agree with you that, of course, the two that you listed are premium positions, even more important. But I, I don't think we can call shut down corner a not premium position, especially with the way that we yeah. value passing now. In a passing league, it, Tim, this is where we diverge a little bit on that opinion. Understood on your point about Parsons and Slater. Um, for a lot of folks, it's Parsons and Sertan. But to, to you know, imply that corner's a non-premium position in a passing league, I do think is a little bit crazy. But your point's not a terrible one. Somebody else agrees with you. 843 number said, I agree with that texter. Uh, he wants more heat on Scott Fitterer. I mean, some of these guys have to start to produce. It's why when I, I went out on this, that super bold limb of mine weeks ago, as if my prediction really matters in the real world, and said nine and eight, because this division stinks, why not? It was also in part, if you'll recall, because a lot of you were saying, hold them accountable. They won seven games last year. They fired Steve Wilkes and went with Reich and tra- traded up to get a quarterback. That Most of this roster's back, right? Hold them accountable. It's a pretty good situation for a rookie quarterback. They ought to be able to go win some games this year. Well, there you go. There you go. A lot of folks want to see them win some games this year and make some acquisitions that make sense to plug into a roster to compete in a not-so-great division. And so if we're going to do that, then Scott Fitterer, as much as the coaching staff, has to be held accountable for things. You've tuned into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan.